And welcome to episode 77 of The Goods, a film podcast. It's a brand new month, and this is Brian. And this is Dan. And I think, Brian, we maybe should call ourselves a quasi-film podcast. Yes, because the month we've just begun is April. We're recording here on uh, the eve of 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 april the first day of april some special things happen on the first day of april it's a time for tomfoolery for merrymaking for shaking up the social order and so we've created sort of our own podcast holiday tradition here that happens on april fools over the years i mean this is only our second year that we're into but it it seems to be taking shape and what we do on this day is we select things that are barely films these can't really be called movies but they are motion pictures in a sense they are media presentations involving sequential images played at speed that have caught our attention and captivated our imaginations and that we are ready to talk about at length, even though the selections themselves may be rather short. Indeed, the not necessarily films, but filmed things. So this should be be good. And I think, Brian, we're going to talk through yours first, and then we'll talk through mine. All right. That was the order of things back when we covered the extended Garfield comic strip tribute last year. And... Your selection, Heavy Metal Parking Lot, about the concert goers about to head into the Judas Priest show. Yeah, one, of, one of the greatest things ever put to, to film, in my, my opinion. Indeed, but, or videotape. Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, the reason that I came up with this tradition and, and pitched it last year was that there are just certain things that I'm passionate about and want to talk about that don't really fit within the umbrella of covering a movie every week. So I, this seemed like the time. Maybe it's not always going to be silly. Maybe it's not always going to be a gotcha moment. Specifically last year, I really wanted to show my love for long YouTube videos, which has become more and more of an art form in recent years. But it doesn't need to be that. What, what I described it to Dan as was something that's barely a film. I like that, yeah. What I have brought to the table today is a VHS special. It's about a half hour long with the credits tacked on. Comes to us from, I believe, 1992. The evidence and, and supplemental media describing this film is rather sparse on the internet. But 1992 seems like a safe bet. And it is called It's Potty Time. Yeah, it's potty time. This is a potty training film, ostensibly. And Dan, had you ever encountered this before? Uh, no, I had never heard of this. Um, so this was, this was Greenfield watching for me. I could come in fresh. Although I have quite a bit of personal connection to the material because I'm actually in the midst 
potty training my my two and a half year old right now. That's right. This is informative for me, directly useful and applicable. Well, that's perfect. You got some firsthand experience. You can tell us whether the topics that are taught in the film, uh, whether they bear up, whether they are useful in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Some context for this pick. I had, growing up, this VHS tape. I still know where it is. And for whatever reason, when I was probably like four, which is the age of the protagonist in this film, I watched this all the time, just over and over again. (laughs) I have it basically committed to memory in like the deepest lizard part of my brain. And it's a musical. Uh, We've talked off pod about what makes a Dan selection and what makes a Brian selection. And if it's got musical numbers, a lot of songs, it's probably a Brian pick. Yeah, that's become increasingly apparent is a Brian movie. It's got to have it's got to have music in there. Got to have numbers that are earworm, catchy, annoying little tunes. And this has got at least one that qualifies as an earworm, but it's got a lot of songs. It's it's 30 minutes long and it's almost like a sung through musical. Just there's like maybe 15 seconds between some of the songs. I don't really know how to break into this one, but it's part of the Duke family series of educational VHS tapes. I guess Duke University had some involvement. It's like social scientists putting this together about what's the best way to raise a functional child in the 90s. I just want to say that 90, this is the first time we said the year, but we hadn't yet said 90s other than that. I think that's a really important word to have in mind when you're watching this because it's very 90s. The Everything is 90s. The, the clothes, the hairstyles. Um, the architecture, like just I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, if I were selling my house, my realtor would tell me to add a whitewash to that uh, brick sink and just there's a lot of wood paneling. Vintage 90s. Right. It's like Seinfeld. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But the the thrust of the narrative of this film is that it's protagonist Bobby's fourth birthday and his family's getting ready to throw him a birthday party. Now, it's kind of an interesting choice that you got a star who is four years old. That's obviously past the age of potty training for most. Uh, but the kid is not the one undergoing the potty training. He and his friends are going to serve as good examples of proper bathroom etiquette. And he's got, you know, a younger sister who is of the potty training age. She's undergoing the ritual currently. So, Dan, maybe now is the time. I'm not a parent. Tell us the the bare basics of of how you go about potty training. There's lots of different thoughts on it. And you can read 10 different books and have 10 different philosophies on potty training. Obviously, you're transitioning from the, the toddler knows how to pee and poop and just a diaper. And then the toddler then has, there's a few things involved. One is they have to have control of like holding it. 
and re- releasing it only when they're on the potty. They also need to have like awareness and communication skills to basically like say, Hey, I gotta go to potty. Help me get to the potty to the parents. And I think increasingly there's a shift towards the mindset of just take the damn diapers off and help the kid figure it out. As opposed to, I think there was a time when the thought was more like uh, you scaffold towards it. So you, you, you have steps along the way to get there. But what we've kind of done is just the cold turkey. Just you, you take it off and particularly like give them a lot of fluids in the first couple of days. So they have a lot of reps, a lot of cycles of feeling the pee pee come. And then they go, oh, oh, you've had an accident. Well, now you got to go sit on the toilet. That's what you do when you feel that coming and you just do it over and over again. And whenever they mess it up, you say that thing that you just felt, don't do that, hold that. And then we go to the potty and do it. And you know, kids brains, they're building a million neurons a second. So like they make the connections fairly quickly. Our four-year-old daughter, we potty trained her when she was about two and a half, maybe two and three quarters. And, uh, she got it. She basically got it over a three day weekend. And she, she had occasional accidents and she wasn't really telling us we had to like plant her on the potty and then she, she would hold it until she got planted on the potty most of the time. So it took us a while until she actually got to the point where she would tell us, which was kind of exhausting. But I feel like that was overall a pretty good success. My two year old, she just it's going really bad. I whenever she has an accident, she like doesn't even seem to mind. And then I bring her over and. It's like, hey, don't do that. That's you got to pee in the potty. That's where the pee pee goes. And she looks at me like, like, I'm not the one who has to clean up the piss. Like, why do I care? Like, okay, you, you know, we're not gonna be doing this until you're 15 years old. You got to figure it out at some point. Just figure it out. God damn it. And and it's it, it hasn't been a success so far. So I was actually watching this while I was doing chores, and there's a moment coming up where I just I had to stop it. And I showed the clip to Katie, my wife. I said, I don't care what you're doing right now. You need to stop what you're doing and come and watch this thing that's on my screen right here. And I showed it to her. And I was like, I think I might actually show this to Gwen. Like, maybe she'll connect. Maybe she'll, like, see what the kids are doing and, and get some fun out of the the music and stuff and actually be inspired to be, like, these little shitheads on the screen here and, like, do what they're doing. But, yeah, that's that's been kind of my experience so far. No, no, the shit doesn't go on your head. Yes, good point. <laughs> but yeah, firsthand experience, that's great. I hope we're enlightening you, listeners. Any parents or prospective parents out there. But up to this point, we've buried the lead, I think. <laughs> because actually, the very first shot of It's Potty Time features a tiny man jumping out from behind like a building block and shouting, it's potty time! And this is our narrator, the omniscient elf creature named Mr. Penders. We we never actually hear his name, but that's what the credits call him. And he's played by star actor Hardin Minor. (laughs) He's going to be like our our godlike narrator, our storytelling leprechaun man who no none of the characters can see he's like a great gazoo type oh you know who he's like he's like um what's the name of the 
the talking mouse in Max Magician. Crimble? Yeah, he's he's the Crimble. He's a little like Crimble, but the 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 star, the main character of Max Magician can at least talk to Crimble. That's true. Here no one ever acknowledges Mr. Penders. And he, so he wears suspenders. That's presumably why he's called Mr. Penders. Mm. Mr. S. Penders. He's got like a little beret, got these big glasses. This dude is just horrifying. It's like a David Lynchian nightmare. This one guy like popping out and just, I don't know, man. He put me on edge whenever he was on screen. <laughs> He's the most memorable part of the movie for me. <laughs> I, I feel like this was a passion project for Harden Minor. You think so? I, I think, yeah, he was invested in it. The thing that throws me off is he disappears for just long enough that you forget. You're like, oh, this is just a movie about these kids sitting on toilets and singing little songs. That's fun. And then, ha! Out comes the the weirdo. The he's in the bathroom too. It's kind of creepy, man. Yeah, he, he. This is what was the letterbox description? It's like a tiny man follows toddlers into the bathroom. I haven't looked at letterbox yet. You told me not to. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, I, t I wanted Dan to go in green and fresh with no preconceived notions, I said. <laughs> so hopefully that was your experience. It sounds like it was. Yeah, definitely. Mr. Penders. Right. So, yeah, mainly we're, we're talking about Bobby's birthday is here. He's going to have a party. And so his family's getting ready. His friends are getting ready. And as one does over the course of the day, everybody goes to the bathroom a couple of times. It's just part of life, part of nature. Maybe there is a tiny gremlin man that is there, but you can't see him. So it doesn't really affect our day-to-day -day lives. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the soundtrack, Dan? So the soundtrack is a mix of original numbers and then kind of classic nursery rhyme style songs turned into potty training songs. Right. Public domain tunes with new lyrics. And I universally loved the nursery rhyme songs turned into potty things. There's just what, one overarching strength of this film is there's just something funny about like adults straight faced singing about poop and pee pee, just like with, with no irony. I mean, it's, it would be less funny if they were trying to be funny, but they're not trying to be funny, which makes it freaking hilarious. And like I'm trying to remember uh, on top of your potty, you let out the poop or something like that. I was just cracking up as I was watching this. Oh, yeah, I, I was going to guess that, that was the moment you singled out because that's when they actually have the two year old on the potty chair. Oh, well, actually, that's I use my potty. That's the one with I use my potty when I have to poop. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And every time it gets to poop, the, the two year old cracks up. I mean, poop is a great punchline. Yeah, it's it's very aesthetical. It's a punchy word. It poop. It's just like it's a catchy word that makes me laugh every time. Aesthetically humorous. It, it, rather like how monkeys are funny. Poop is funny. <laughs> or at least the meta poop is funny. Yeah. yeah. The, the concept. It's like poop in theory rather than poop in practice. Yeah, I would say... There's like a baseline of songs in this film that they're fine. If you watch it over and over, pretty much every tune here is going to stick with you. But 
the end-all and be-all, the best song they came up with here, and they knew it, was the march called Super Duper Pooper. This is where Bobby's friend Lizzie has successfully completed a bathroom trip. Throughout this film, we don't see anything explicit, obviously. I I've seen potty training tapes where it's like a cartoon, and it gets a little more graphic. This is all, you know, okay. This is safe for work. How many potty training videos have you seen? What is it? How is there a whole library for reference? It's a genre, Dan. Did you look up It's Potty Time on YouTube? There's like a, a whole bunch of different results. It would be easy to get confused if I didn't point you to the right one. <laughs> but, and you watch them? Uh, I've only watched one other one more than once. Okay. But anyhow... This one is the key text in the genre. The urtext, yeah. Yes. So this song, Super Duper Pooper, Lizzie has done her business. She has demonstrated good wiping technique on her teddy bear. Wipe, wipe, wipe yourself always front to back, they say. Carefully, carefully, now you have the knack. But she's done. She comes downstairs, and her parents are waiting there ready to congratulate her with this rousing march number. And it goes, She is a super duper pooper. She can potty with the best. No more diapers to get in her way. We are very impressed. She is a super duper pooper. She knows when she has to go. Take a bow, she's a big girl now. She's the best, best pooper, pooper we, we know. And there it is. Toward a good moment. Yeah. Eight out of eight. Uh, her dad looks like Steve Urkel. <laughs> so that dad and a bunch of people here, they had accents. And I didn't know if they were just North Carolina accents or if they were like heavily affected like putting on accents do you notice they talk weird at all am i going crazy i didn't notice an accent what makes you say north carolina because it's duke yeah okay that's an interesting theory i i honestly didn't notice but this dad's definitely got a look i mean he's got the the glasses and he's just got like really shiny teeth and he's so enthusiastic about this song that's what sells it is that both the dad and the mom are really into it this is the one that my parents said never left their heads when I would watch this tape. <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention with this bit of this girl going to the bathroom, there are, I think, two shots of like handheld shake cam as she runs desperately to the bathroom to relieve herself. It was like all of a sudden they were doing something new here. Yeah, let's talk about the cinematography in this film, because this moment really stuck out to me on this watch, where, yeah, suddenly the camera is handheld like an evil dead chase shot, and it goes into fast, like the film is sped up, and it's just chasing her breakneck speed through the halls, up the stairs of this 90s suburban house, to the bathroom door. It's something else, yeah. It adds... It adds to the sense of David Lynchian horror, I would say. But, like, overall, this is a competently shot film. At the beginning, when we have the song, Today is Bobby's birthday, he turned four. 
we get this Bobby montage of him just doing toddler activities. And <laughs> there's like this really artful tracking shot of him on a tricycle. And, it, you know, it just keeps up with him smoothly. Like they planned out this action shot. That's a good call. That was really the only other moment that stuck out to me artistically. But like the, the person shooting the video, they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and there, there's a party coming up, too, and I feel like some of the compositions of the party were kind of not your basic docudrama, put the camera in front of a group. A lot of it is, but there's some where it's like they artfully have some balloons in one corner while kids are walking over here, and it's kind of interesting. Right. It's like composed intentionally. Do you think there's an upcoming... I mean, I know that Marvel's doing like all of the the superheroes that they can come up with, there's like the Moon Knight is the one that's coming out soon. Do you think there's a super duper pooper movie or TV show coming coming up from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, who who currently owns the rights to the Duke Family series franchise? Disney's got to get on that. One other thought on the structure of the film, technically speaking, the the shots where Mr. Penders pops in are done okay like it's a very cheap green screen effect but it's a nice clean key and like every place that he pops up they at least put some consideration into setting up the frame so that he could like sit on an easel or look like he's standing by the staircase and he even casts a shadow in a realistic way so Having done a lot of cheap green screen stuff, like this looks better than a lot of streamers on Twitch and, and things like that. And it's, it was 1992, so it's not terrible looking. It's a weird concept. I mean, you don't need an elf hosting your potty time tape. <laughs> yeah, you pro yeah, that's a good point. You probably don't. But, but if you're going to do it, go all in. That's what I say. So eventually the party rolls around. It's not a long film. It's 20 minutes. All the friends are assembled. You get to see parents milling around in 90s attire. I'm sure at least one person has got the signature Jerry Seinfeld look of denim jeans and a dress shirt. Not a combo you see these days. No, it's out of style. Not that I would know in my sweatpants six days a week. But yeah. <laughs> And the featured entertainment at this party is a clown, a party clown, played by who else but Harden Minor in a dual role. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. We, I didn't recognize him as the same. I actually didn't know that until recently either. He's a pretty good clown, though. Yeah. I mean, it's an enjoyable song that he sings. Uh for me, I'm a clown, though it's rather on the nose, is maybe number three on the soundtrack. What are your thoughts on party clowns, Dan? Have you ever actually been to a party that had a clown or like a magician or something? Yeah, my parents actually got me a clown for like my fourth birthday or something or fifth birthday. Man, if it was fourth birthday, that would be an exact match for this. I, I... That would be perfect. Man, this is like your life story here. Yeah. I can look it up, but they, they did get me a clown. And is it Bozo the Clown? Now I get them all mixed up. The one you could watch him on local TV. Yeah, Bozo the Clown. 
So my parents showed me a little bit of Bozo the Clown when I was a kid. We've talked about this before. I feel like it's like sometimes the internet and the culture and zeitgeist latch onto things and they maybe have a point, but then it just becomes the consensus. Like bacon. Oh, bacon. I love bacon. That's what real men eat. It's the good food. I was like, chill out about the bacon. Another one is clowns. Oh, clowns. They're not funny. They're creepy. Whoever thought clowns are nightmare fuel. I disagree. I think clowns are fine. I'm okay with clowns. Bring back the clown, Brian. I'm doing my best, Dan. But I agree. Clowns never really bothered me. I am also okay with clowns. The quote I remember from the start of our circus month talk is you said, I wouldn't hang out with a clown every day. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's fair too. <laughs> but they're, they're all right. They're a sometimes food. Yeah, they're, they're a, a Reuben sandwich with all the sauerkraut piled on, you know? A taste for every now and then when you want to remember that these strong sensations exist. Exactly. But I myself have never been to a birthday party with a clown. I find that concept a little odd. Just entertainers who make their living going like party to party. And yet, I, in some ways, it's like there but for the grace of God go I. It's an interesting way to make your living. I read an article once by Washington columnist Gene Weingarten about a performer in this area who goes by the name The Great Zucchini. That was just a great tale to read. I really should have brought it and like had it ready to go, some choice quotes, but I don't. Listeners, look up Gene Weingarten's coverage of The Great Zucchini. I don't really know what my point is. The performance the clown does is he's like juggling coos balls and singing. There's a song every 30 seconds, as I said. His song is I'm a Clown. And he brings the birthday boy up on stage. And to me, Bobby seems uncomfortable, which is fair. I mean, this clown is very up in his business. He's like constantly poking him with a rubber chicken. <laughs> and the, the final thing that the clown does is he like waves his cloak over Bobby. And then when he pulls it back and reveals him, Bobby is wearing a different set of clothes. So it's like, what was going on back there? Yeah, I hope Bobby was prepped for that act. I don't want four-year-olds to have their clothes arbitrarily removed by a strange man. Particularly clowns. <laughs> that's, yeah, I think that's a good point. After the clown act, several of the party goers announce, I have to go to the potty. So back on topic. <laughs> We're here for a reason, guys. So a line of boys head to the restroom to demonstrate peeing while standing up. You know, there you go. That's a boy skill. Uh, but they go accompanied by the clown. Of course. You, you can never be too far from hard and minor in this movie. But the song that the boys sing is <laughs> Shra-la-la-boom-de-ay I push my pants away And while I'm standing there Pull down my underwear. That's another one that's going to stay in your head for 30 years, at least. Yeah, yeah. 
the quote from The Simpsons where Homer walks in. It's actually even maybe better out of context. Homer walks into the bathroom and Bart's there. Bart says, Dad. And Homer says, whoops, sorry, son. I didn't know you, Jay Leno, and a monkey were bathing a clown. It's the same energy. It's not like here the clown is on the outside of the bathroom experience, but there's just something off-putting and and random about a clown accompanying you to a bathroom <laughs> as all this is going on. But you're right that this song, this is a one's a banger. It's like I would definitely uh, play this one. Is this your number two on on the list? I think this one's number four for me. Okay. It, as far as the one that comes to mind unbidden it's probably that's probably number two yeah you're right i think i think it earns that spot and in fact i don't know what the words to the actual tune are supposed to be i don't know if they're even our words i i've definitely heard tra la la boom before i remember like the comical old uncle in the aristocats singing that much uh but now i can never hear that without i push my pants away <laughs> <laughs> which actually as far as the lessons in this film goes this is the one that is maybe not the one you want to learn it's like when you're standing at the urinal you don't completely take your pants off you don't at least i don't i'm learning something here too april fools of course that's how you're supposed to do it then <laughs> i think it's also a barney song that i've heard Oh, yeah, I could see that. That was another show that made a lot of use of public domain tunes with new lyrics. I mean, I love you, you love me. Na, 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 na. What, what tune is that? Actually, it's something. Why am, why, why am I blanking? Hold on, yeah. Is it? No, it's not Twinkle Twinkle. This old um, man, he played one, he played Nick Nick. Yeah, there you go. On his thumb, that's the one. Turned into a ballad. Same deal, yeah. But... When they head off to the bathroom with the clown, one of the boys turns towards the party and freezes time so that they don't miss anything. And I don't know what the implications of this moment are. It's like, how did he do this? <laughs> this isn't even a character who gets named, but I guess he has powers. He's a time wizard. You didn't expect a time wizard? Yeah, maybe he has some connection to... Mr. Penders. I feel like if anyone in the film is capable of seeing and talking to Mr. Penders, it would be this kid. Yeah, that, I want to see the sequel that has has their collaboration. Yeah, he's like the Deadpool of this world. He can see the the meta fictional aspect of his universe. But then they they come back to the party after they've all urinated, and there's a moon bounce. They bounce around in the moon bounce. And we get a song called Let's Play Ball. For whatever reason, this is my number two favorite song. It's just a very simple melody, and the lyrics are even stupider. But it's, let's play ball. Let's play ball. It's so easy if you try. Wave your arms and jump up high. Let's play ball. Let's play ball. It's fun. It's fun to play ball. Man, this I'm surprised this one was was a highlight for you because this one for me is like first of all, a really simple and annoying tune. Second of all, it's got nothing to do with potty. I, I was out on it on uh let's play ball. That's totally fair. I I don't have a good reason to defend it. I guess it just 
comes at the climactic moment. Yeah. If this film has one. There, there's a catharsis to it. And do they have some of like uh, the moon bounce on this? Yeah, it's like slow motion of them bouncing around in the moon bounce. I felt like there were some cool shots in the moon bounce. Yeah. That was where the, the person making the film was like, all right, we got bodies of energy bouncing around and all this depth of field. Like we can we can do some cool shots here. And there's a couple of them. The party wraps up and then we kind of jump forward a bit. Bobby goes to bed and he's remembering the events of the day. And so we get this like melancholy. Well, I don't know. Reflective reprise of today is Bobby's birthday called today was Bobby's birthday. And we get kind of like an artsy gauzy filter over shots from the rest of the movie as he's remembering the day. Yeah. I like the, the framing aspect of this, you know, it, it added some, some uh, poetic structure to the, the whole affair. Today is Bobby's birthday. Today was Bobby's birthday. Time passes Toilets are flushed. It's the nature of the world. That's right. We all were once children and perhaps are no longer. And then the final moment of the film is an exterior shot of the house at night. And Mr. Pender's winking face is superimposed on the full moon. That's potty time. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's, it's out of nowhere. Is Mr. Pender's God? <laughs> it's it's in play. I don't know. Yeah. Let us know, listeners, in the comments. What do you think is the nature of Mr. Pender's? He's six inches tall, but also a being of the cosmos. So, I, I don't know. But the story does not end there, listeners. Up to this point, I thought this was all there was in the It's Potty Time universe. But while doing some Googling, getting ready for our presentation, I came across an image that simply said, It's Potty Time 2. And my universe was shattered. My mindscape cracked apart <laughs> because I had to know, was there an It's Potty Time 2? It turned out that that image was just for a re-release of the tape. Like, I think they did a DVD version in, like, 2001 or something. Which, wow, that's some clickbait if I've ever seen it. Yeah, that's deceptive. You don't know what two means. It's not two. I did my own research on this, and I came to the same conclusion that It's Potty Time 2 was just a DVD release with all of the various works of the, the Duke, what's it called? The Duke Family Program or something? Right. But that made me realize that there are other works in this Duke Family series, including a follow-up, basically a sequel, to It's Potty Time. From 1993, we have It's Sleepy Time. And it is very much connected Though it does follow different children, it has a lot of the same creative connective tissue. Did you give this one a watch, Dan? I did. I caught up with It's Sleepy Time as well. Yeah. So now it was my turn to come into it 
green maybe with some preconceived notions because obviously i was familiar with it's potty time and it's sleepy time doesn't fall too far from the tree i feel like there's less of a point to this one see that's interesting i mean it's it's still about sleeping well i don't know again you're the parent so what did you what did you think of this one dan well a couple things actually many things so one is that curiously it's potty time felt aimed basically directly at toddlers so for toddlers toddlers are the ones who learn the lessons get the helpful reminders about one what one does and one doesn't do and then it's sleepy time feels like it has advice for the parent it's like it's teaching you how to put a kid down that was kind of odd first of all um i will say sl- sleeping is like honestly much more of a parental issue in general than the potty it's like the potty it usually takes up to a couple of weeks for the kids to learn it you're dealing with your kid trying to sleep for years and years and years and i mean they say there's a rule of thumb you won't catch up on your sleep until your kid is in middle school and i don't know if that's actually true but i feel like i've been on behind on my sleep for the four and a half years since my first daughter was born and this actually does have some legitimate pointers so i actually would disagree with your thought that this has less of a point one of my complaints about it's potty time is at that point everybody is already successfully potty trained there's no conflict there's no failure there's no distress or what do i do how do i get to the potty in time uh, oh no i had an accident and so it's basically a, already a success story at that point. It's sleepy time is also kind of like that, but built into it is some information about overcoming common barriers as you go. Okay. Maybe there's something to that. I guess there's at one point the baby cries and they got to go in and, and address that. And there's yeah. like one song about if the room is scary, what do you do? Yeah. Okay. There is a lot of random bullshit in it, though. That I will give you. I would say overall, though, the songs didn't stick with me. And and I agree. Granted, a huge part of that is probably that I didn't watch this when I was four. But even so, they it just didn't grip me the same way. As someone coming in fresh to both, I completely agree. It. it I mean, first of all, there's less comedy to singing about sleeping than there is to singing about poop and there's just just nothing that should have screamed up the billboard charts like super duper pooper but okay this was the most jarring thing for me and it didn't happen until like two-thirds of the way through again it's like songs all the way through just constantly people singing all along i was thinking wow nothing here even touches super duper pooper nothing comes close but then they reused super duper pooper they just replanted it just dropped it in drag and drop into this film to try to liven this up and they called it doozer of a snoozer he is a doozer of a snoozer and oh it was terrible 
Oh, bad? Okay. I was not into it. I This is really negative. I want to know okay. your thoughts. For me, this was a one out of eight moment. It's it's oh, wow. it's the granny singing to the boy in this this version, not the parents singing to the daughter. And then they have the gall that the granny leans forward at the end of this song and sticks a little badge on the kid that says doozer of a snoozer as though to just like paper over the bald faced plagiarism they're doing here <laughs> that this was always doozer of a snoozer. No, they they didn't need a little sticker for super duper pooper. Lizzie knew that she was a super duper pooper because the parents sang with confidence, with enthusiasm. There was nothing hollow about super duper pooper. I gotta say, I didn't connect that it was the same song. And now that you're saying it, I see it. All of these songs are kind of simple enough that uh, they kind of just don't stick to my brain very much. I, I will admit that that song definitely didn't click with me, but you're right. I guess it basically is. It's it's a rewrite. Yeah, it's it, the same one. I knew from the moment that the intro started playing the dun 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 Yeah, it's the same. Hmm. Really grating. Just torpedoed the film for me. I have no good sentiments to express. And the the star of this one is an uglier child. <laughs> he he looks like he should be playing Tiny Tim. He just looks malnourished. Bobby was like a glossy magazine boy. And this guy looks like a Victorian street urchin. Yeah, he's got like a weird look on his face. Like he, I don't know. He's just very clearly taking stage directions. Whereas I'm not saying that Bobby's going to be nominated for any Oscars, but I agree. There was a little more... Uh, naturalism and charisma there yeah it was like i bought that bobby was a real boy yeah whereas this kid is just kind of bobbing along to this song and it just goes on and on and it just didn't have the same heart i mean during super duper pooper lizzie was like marching along and she just seemed to be enjoying herself there there was awkwardness here two counterpoints yes other thoughts yes okay no you go ahead with your counterpoints first two counterpoints one this takes place on a notable day as well. The notable day, though, is 4th of July, Independence Day. And I get really nostalgic for the 4th of July. It's always like the peak of summer. There's, little, there's picnics and just an air of possibility. To me, there was some excitement and nostalgia in seeing the the barbecue and seeing the kids playing festival games and at the playground. And there's like a little water tank, which just felt was like a nice touch. I don't know. Like the, the celebration aspect immersed me a little bit more. You're right. The best thing about this one for me was that it's the 4th of July and the best song was about the 4th of July. It's, right here in the USA. It is a special day. That was the one I found myself humming after I finished this one on Vimeo. And there's this big parade that they film, and I want to know what happened in the years since to all the people in this parade. Like, do they even know that they were in It's Sleepy Time? <laughs> or was this just happening and, and somebody brought a camera? There's also, like, 
clips of baseball and the moon landing and stuff. Right. Celebrating the greatness of America. Yeah, in the credits, it says dream sequences directed by so-and-so. Like, this was a whole separate project to show these, like, historic moments and then the children dreaming that they're reenacting them. Second thing in favor of It's Sleepy Time. To be honest, if it loses a comedy element, it gains a dramatic element in that there's just something poetic about kids going to sleep. It's like the whole passage of time thing, an end of a day, a looking back and looking ahead and, you know, you're going off to dreamland and we, we did what we did and we're going to do something else tomorrow. And there's, I don't know, a certain, uh, literary quality to that ritual that sitting on a toilet doesn't quite have for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. That's fair. <laughs> Maybe not shared, but <laughs> no, I, I can see that uh, bowel movements are not especially poetic. Mostly. Yeah. Give it a go. Kind of what makes these feel similar Obviously, lots of songs, but Mr. Penders remains a constant presence. Well, not a constant. I mean, like you said, he's popping in and out, but he is a continued presence. He's still playing the omniscient narrator who can check in on anybody at any time. But here he has like a more altered voice. He's he just sounds more gremlin-y to me. It's like it's like sped up. It's like he's got a little bit of a chipmunk effect. Interesting. Maybe they realize that just making him a little man who sits in the bathroom of a toddler, there was something off about that. We need to make him feel less like a person. We need to get Mr. Penders to work. He's a funnier character than we've ever had before. What is that from? That's from the Star Wars Episode One behind-the-scenes discussion of Jar Jar. <laughs> Harden Minor is back also as a clown in this one. He's he's playing a clown again. He's in a dunk tank and then he marches in the parade. He this was a guy who was dedicated to his clowning. I wonder if he ever again got as prominent a role as he did in the Duke Family series VHS line. If I'm ever casting, I'm going to search him up. Give him a cameo. Yeah. We we got to call on some of these actors. Harden Minor Chad Broski, all these guys. <laughs> what I really want is like a, an acoustic, soulful version of Super Duper Pooper. Yeah. And then there's also one called It's Family Time, which is just like an hour-long educational tape aimed at expectant parents. It's like, you're going to have a baby. Here's some things that you ought to know, according to the social scientists at Duke University. I didn't watch that one. I just, I, I found it. I kind of scrubbed through it. It didn't seem to have any elves. No, I didn't catch up with that one either. One important thing on its sleepy time, and I'd actually be curious to hear about its family time when it was made, what its thoughts were. So I was kind of flabbergasted, and, and I wouldn't expect you to, to know this, Brian, or really any non-parents to know this. In 1994, so... I think It's Sleepy Time came out in 1993. So this is after It's Sleepy Time. 
1994, medical advice changed on babies sleeping. So no longer were pillows, blankets, decorations, stuffed animals uh, recommended or like allowed, quote unquote, for babies' cribs. The There was a major campaign, a heavily funded, heavily publicized campaign called the Back to Sleep campaign, starting in 1994, where basically you put babies to sleep on their back in very unadorned cribs with minimal padding, just enough for them to be comfortable enough to fall asleep. And basically, the way they taught it is like a box with just enough padding that they sleep and nothing else there. And the reason it's called back to sleep is because it's important that you lay them on their back when they go to sleep. And you do that up until they're two years old. And the reason you do this is because it drastically reduces the occurrence of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, which is a still somewhat unexplained phenomenon where up until you're like a year old, there's some frequency. I mean, it's it's very low, but it's like scary enough that it, any amount of it is scary where basically the babies just inexplicably die during overnight while they're sleeping, hence sudden infant death syndrome. And it almost always happens when they're sleeping. And basically they studies showed that it happened way less if you slept on your back in lightly padded and unadorned sleeping things. And so there's like shots of babies being placed in cribs that are like very heavily padded with like pillows and decorative blankets and stuffed animals. And it kind of makes sense up until you realize that that is no longer the advice. And so that was a little bit jarring for me. I had to confirm that it was pre-1994 when I when I saw that. That's interesting. Yeah, I was also wondering, like, there's a whole song about what to do when the baby cries. And the answer that the mom gives is like, go and stand in the room so that the baby knows that you're there. But don't pick the baby up. Don't mess with the baby. But just stand there so that the baby acknowledges your presence. That was the most information-dense song to me. Yeah. And I was wondering how that theory has changed. That tracks. So basically there's two camps in the quote-unquote sleep war, which is one is is basically considered attachment parenting. And so that line of thought is basically always comfort the baby. Like you never want your baby to be freaked out or stressed because that creates uh, trauma and stress, which is harmful for the brain and the brain development and the sense of attachment to the parent. And then the alternate theory is uh, actually that isn't really long-term stress. That's short-term stress. And babies need to learn how to put themselves to sleep. They need to learn how to self-soothe. And I would say that I very much subscribe to the latter. And sleep training is a concept where basically you let your baby lie down by themselves and cry for a bit and you go and comfort them, but your comforting is not picking them up. Kind of like the song talked about. And you do it every just now and then you do it like every 10 minutes or so. Um, and this, what they describe tracks with sleep training, 
and which I very much buy. I mean, both of our kids sleep very well in general. Uh, we're kind of lucky in that regard. But I think that that's a thought that has stuck around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one stuck out to me as a little more rooted in a moment than Potty Time. I mean, Potty Time obviously has the 90s aesthetic of the clothing and, and things like that. But the the lessons are more universal in terms of time. Uh, this one really seemed to have some pop psychology to me. Something that interests me and that I, I should probably write out more to, to sound a little more intelligent when I talk about it, but something I've learned as I've gotten older is that a lot of the things that I was taught as a child in the 90s, I, I took as gospel and as, like, things that had been common sense forever, but that were really fairly recent theories. And, and examples are, like, Stranger Danger or... What was another one I was just thinking of? I mean, what you were talking about, about the the bed needs to be made a certain way. And just that things that seem like common sense that have been around forever may not always have been. That's something I've developed more of a consciousness of as I've gotten older and read more. Sure. This is definitely true in parenting. Theories shift all the time. A book comes out. A paper comes out. And... The thoughts change a lot. Well, that's the... What do they call it when it's just two? It's not a trilogy. Is it a duology? Duology, yeah. Something like that. Of the It's Time films. Released by the (laughs) Duke Family Series. Directed by Mark Mitchell. Starring Harden Minor. Do we want to throw a rating on this one? Or or both of them now? Or do we want to discuss your selection first, Dan? Sure. We can go for it. Okay. So, as our guest, Dan, you can be our our first definitive judge. What do you think? Is it good? Is it potty time? So, is it good is our signature section where we each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale, ranging from very not good, which is a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating toward day good, an eight out of eight. And so, I will answer the question... Is It's Potty Time good? And is It's Sleepy Time good? And here's what I'll say. I had a good time. Yeah, I did. I had a good time, Brian. This was fun to watch. Very much not a film. And I'm not the target audience. I'm not a four-year-old who is learning how to, to sit on a potty. But, you know, super duper pooper. I mean, it, it just slaps, man. It's like, it's a song for the ages. And... I, I liked hanging out with the kids and their energy, their positivity towards, yeah, man, we're going to poop. We're going to pee. It's what we do. I dug it. It felt inauthentic how little conflict and failure there was, because really what potty training is, is overcoming failure again and again. And so I was like, you, you stupid. This isn't a video about potty training. This is a video about potty trained. They're done. It's all happened. So... You know, it was it was a lark, a fun lark with some some goofy fun songs. It was goodish, Brian. It's a four out of eight for me. Oh, nice. What about you? Okay, so this is one where I really had to go to the tape and just look at the record of what we've done so far here on the podcast. And what have I given a four to? What have I given a three to? 
and, and so on down the ladder. And I have to give this one a two, which I know, I know it seems harsh. I've watched this, like, if I said I'd watch this a hundred times, that would probably not be too much of an exaggeration. So there's merit to it. I'd say check it out. We've already talked like an hour and a half about this 20-minute film uh, well, and its follow-up. But I don't know. There's not a lot of substance here. Uh, one big thing that holds it back for me is three whole minutes is dedicated to reading a Raggedy Ann story and like showing pictures of the pages. I don't know why, but when I was a kid, this creeped me out. It's like the dolls are walking around and they go out into the night and they find a cat that has just had kittens. But like at first they're intrigued by the yowling of the cats and it, uh, this it just unsettled me it goes on for too long it's more than 10% of the runtime um and I'm off into the weeds now but like did I get as much out of this watching it as a 32 year old in 2022 as I did even out of like last day of summer no I, I didn't I don't know I'm, I'm not currently potty training anyone eight out eight out of eight for super duper pooper Say its name. It's not Doozer of a Snoozer. Crank that one at your next party. And and bring back party clowns. But but even so, yeah, that's where I'm sitting at. It's not very not good. But I, I think I, I wouldn't... Maybe I did just steer people to it. I, I guess I'm conflicted on this one. There's tumult here. I, I guess I haven't settled yet, but I'm putting a two tentatively. That's what I've penciled in. Man, I I was sure this was going to be like a stealth six for you or something like that out of nostalgia. My my four comes in mostly from the perspective of, you, you know, it's something called it's potty time and aimed at four year olds when you're going in. So you're watching with a certain perspective and it was it was uh, more of a blast a a silly little fling than I was expecting. So okay, sure it it delivers on its premise. You're right, and and maybe that's the best way to judge things. I'm trying for a a more objective stance, like weighing it on a universal scale. I, I'm the devourer, chewing on your soul. You know, just just weighing weighing your your deeds, and where are you gonna spend your afterlife? And and when I do that with its potty time, it comes down as a two. My uh, follow-up thought on that is, uh, I feel like you could watch this stoned and have a good <laughs> Yeah, not enough narratives these days feature a tiny man commenting on the action. I know, disappointing. Do we want to throw a rating on it? It's sleepy time. I can do that. For me, it's a definite step down. It's still got its charm, but it just didn't feel as instantly iconic to me. Not as silly. There were some nice things about it, but it, I don't think I would recommend this in isolation. You know, it's like uh, it didn't feel like something that would persist for its iconic goofiness the same way that it's potty time might. I'm on a low three, high two. I'll just go ahead and give it a two. A, a not good. It, it's borderline, but uh, I like the sit hanging around at a 90s barbecue and that was about it. And slight demerits for giving bad sleeping advice for babies. 
Yes, to me, this is a quintessential weaker sequel. But it's got to be said, it blew my mind that there is a sequel. There is a follow-up to It's Potty Time. After you go to the bathroom, you go to sleep. Yeah, songs not as good. Shameless recycling of Super Duper Pooper. They knew that was their, their ace in the hole. But, uh, you know, uh, you've led me to evaluate it a little more highly than I did initially. Uh, I've got this one penciled in out of one. Very not good. It didn't do anything for me the first watch. Maybe it's due for a rewatch. Um, maybe I'll revisit it if I do have children. Well, there you go. But, Dan, what have you brought for us to discuss? Well, I want to say I'm, I'm a little devastated. I was hoping that I could... Uh keep pace with you on the, the ratings here because for the first time ever coming into this episode my total average rating of movies we'd watched was exactly one is a good point lower than yours i think that's historic in the goods history but uh, i've just uh i've just lost that or i i would say i've just regained the lead is maybe another way to look at it yes but things could shift again we'll, we'll have to see what the future holds all right, Brian. So let's talk about what I brought. So I want to start with a quote. Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. I think about this quote a lot, Brian. Do you know what that's from? That's from The Sandlot. Oh, good pull. It's what the ghost of Babe Ruth tells Benny the Jet Rodriguez in his dream. I'm so happy you recognized it, yeah. I love that quote. It's a good line. It doesn't really mean anything, but I really like it. Maybe it means something. Let's think about that. Does that line mean anything? That's that's going to be our thesis statement here. So this week, I asked Brian to watch a YouTube clip of a basketball game. So definitely not a film. I would say less of a film than It's Potty Time. It's Potty Time has a uh, letterbox page. This YouTube clip will never have a letterbox page. What's your thought on the film, not a film of this, Brian? This episode is going to bring like some colossal tone shifts. Again, the assignment is just something <laughs> that's not a film. Yeah. And we're going to be talking now about our different approaches to watching sports. I basically just don't watch sports. I occasionally will watch some of like the Olympics. I just like the, the medley of seeing like a bunch of different sports. It's like a sampler platter. It's like, okay, I could get a little bit of curling, a little bit of long jump. I guess those aren't on the same year even, but just see what the different countries are good at and see all the different types of stuff. And, and you know, maybe I watch the Super Bowl, but it's to check out the commercials. And maybe I go to a baseball game, but it's to drink a beer and eat a pretzel. But Dan watches sports. Dan thinks about sports, and that's cool. And let's hear about that. Well, let's hold that thought, because saying I watch sports is a little bit outdated. Let's dig into this. Some background info relevant here. The NCAA, the NCAA, is the main organization that operates college sports. So if you ever watch a college football or basketball game, or like hear about a tournament or something, it's NCAA. So that, that's basically synonymous with college sports. And the NCAA is broken into three divisions, divisions one, two, and three. And each of these divisions basically are their own leagues of sports, so they only compete within their same division. 
And the thing that kind of separates those divisions is basically the amount of funding they get. And also then I guess as a synonym, like how competitive they are. So division one is the highest funded division. Three is the least funded. Actually one rule about D three schools is they are not allowed to offer scholarships. So everybody who's there is just happens to also be a student, but they're on the team. Whereas D one, basically all the students who are on these teams are there because of that and getting scholarships for that. But if you watch any game on TV or ever see headlines about college sports, it's about D1 NCAA. So Brian, I went to UVA. That's D1. My wife went to Virginia Tech, also D1. Brian, even William & Mary, which is not an athletic powerhouse, is a D1 school. Oh, cool. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. What I know about the NCAA is that my friend Ben, he was, I don't know if he got a, I don't even know what the, if they have gold medals or what the trophy is. He did well in an NCAA swimming tournament. Mm, yeah. He went to Duke, right? Yes. Yeah. Are they also D1? Yeah, Duke's D1 for sure. Okay. Yeah. We got some spoilers. We're going to have some North Carolina synergy in this episode today. But So the game we're going to talk about today is unusual because it's actually a D2 basketball game. And it's from 2007. So Division II basketball games are almost never broadcast nationally. and This one was, though. It was a championship game. So it's the, the championship of all of the basketball teams. This was like the title game. And Division Two is kind of like D1, where it has a single elimination basketball playoff. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of March Madness. Have you ever filled out a, a bracket, Brian? I have not filled out a March Madness bracket. But okay. I do enjoy thinking about the prizes that they have if you have a perfect bracket, because it's like mathematically impossible. There's just so many different permutations you could possibly have. Right, it's like Adams in the Universe, number of possible bracket selections. Yeah. D2 brackets are a little different than D1. So D1, the the famous March Madness, is four regions of 16. So that's why the final four, if you ever hear that phrase, that's a big deal. Basically, the winner of each region into the, the semifinals who then go into the finals. D2 does it differently. They have eight regions of eight teams. So it's the same number of teams. I guess D1 has play-ins, so they actually have a few more. But it's essentially the same number of teams. 64 in in D2 for the the playoffs. So the game that I, I sent the clip to Brian about is, again, that the championship game from the 2007 D2 March Madness bracket. I don't know if they call it March Madness when it's D2, but whatever the playoff is there. And the two teams that are involved are Winona State and Barton University. Winona State University, Barton University. Winona State comes from Minnesota. And they, coming into this game, they had a 57-game winning streak spanning two years Brian, a 57-game winning streak in basketball is just patently absurd. It's like 
flipping heads 57 times in a row. It just doesn't happen. That's crazy. Yeah. So they're easily the number one ranked D2 team that year. I'm going to stop saying D2. Everything here in the, is in the context of D2. So they were the number one team that year. But it's more than that. They were like, they were to Goliath what Goliath is to David. They were just like trouncing teams. Just absolutely dominant empire here. And they had two of the top five players in the country. Uh, one named John Malvik and one named John Smith. So John Smith actually was the national player of the year two years in a row, which is pretty uncommon. That means you beat out seniors when you were a junior, and then you beat out the seniors again when you were a senior. And that basically never happens. They had uh, John Smith and then John Malvik again. He's going to be more relevant for this game. He was the other kind of top five player in the country. And in this bracket, they absolutely coasted. So their first five games in the bracket, they won by 27 points, 11 points, 13 points, and 13 points, which are all pretty comfortable margins. So Winona State, the the big guy out there, they knew what they were doing. The other team, Barton University. So Barton is a tiny school from North Carolina. And here we get our, our Duke family TV, whatever, synergy. Barton has... 950 students in their entire university, which is basically like across four years or more. They have basically twice of what my high school class was. Compare that to Winona State. Winona State has like 8,000 students. And where Winona State had just cruised to the finals, Barton had had the opposite path. One of their games was a two-point victory and and two of their wins were one-point victories. Like, every single one of these games came down to the wire. And Barton just kept clutching game after game after game, just getting these narrow wins. And the way that they kept winning these games, just these down-to-the-wire, edge-of-your-seat, barely victories, was they had they had one player who was the hero over and over again. So, Brian... Here's where we bring in the central character of this quote-unquote film, of this quasi-film, of this, what was your phrase? Not quite a film? Yeah, it's like barely a film. The protagonist is a gentleman named Anthony Atkinson Jr. Sometimes he goes by Ant. So Anthony Atkinson Jr., Anthony Atkinson, he's five foot nine, and that's tiny. For he's, he's five foot nine? I did not notice that yeah he's five foot nine that that's below the 50th percentile in the u.s and among basketball players that's just minuscule yeah like if you're small playing college ball you're about six feet so he's three inches taller than tiny yeah that's tiny i mean i watched the michael jordan documentary on netflix last year and i was surprised how short he was compared to a bunch of the basketball players he was like i don't know like I guess I could look up how tall he was. He was six feet and change, but then he's up alongside a bunch of like seven foot plus guys. I think he was six, six, but he was dominating. Yeah. Okay. Which is not short. I mean, that's, that's not short at all, but next to these guys, he looked like the short stack and uh five, nine. That's wild. Five, nine. I'm five, six and I'm short. I'm a, like short among normal people. He was only three inches taller than me. I mean, he is. and He's still alive. I shouldn't say was. 
Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, that's shorter than I am, so. And, yeah, how tall are you, Brian? I'm 5'11", for reference. So you, you, this guy, uh, you dwarf this guy. Yeah. You're taller than him. Yeah. So Atkinson, he grew up in Wilson, North Carolina, which is Barton is located at. So he's a local kid. That's that's the charm. You know, you go to the local university. And 07, he was a senior year. But... And he was the best player on the team for sure, but he definitely did not have a shot playing in the NBA. I mean, the NBA basically does not draft D2 players. And if they do, it's like once in a blue moon. So he wasn't going to play professionally. This was pretty much his last quote unquote real game of basketball that he would ever play. You know, it's the, it's the title game, the final game, last game that Anthony Atkinson would ever play. And to say that he was the hero of the tournament so far is like an understatement. He had hit three game-winning shots so far. And remember, they're like by the skin of their teeth every single game. He, he's the ice in the veins, staring down death, rising from the ashes over and over again. Just unheard of stuff. He was really the hero uh, coming into this game. One thing I'd like to see that I've never seen is like a super cut of all of his game winning shots. Uh, I mean, I've never heard, I've never seen one. I have done plenty of searches for it, never seen it, but I know that he was the linchpin kind of coming into this title game. So anyways, we're in the, the championship game. The date is March 24th, 2007. I did not watch this game live. I wish that I had. But I heard about it shortly after it happened, and I tracked down clips on YouTube. It might even be the same YouTube video that I sent you, Brian. It's like a 4 minute and 26 second clip. The game. And it's like the last 45 seconds that are the key. That Exactly, yeah. So for context for where this clip starts, college basketball games have two 20-minute halves in regulation play. And then if the score is tied at the end of the game, they go into five-minute overtime periods until somebody comes out on top. So typically it's just one overtime if it goes into overtime at all. Hypothetically, it could go into multiple overtimes if they kept just ending those five-minute periods with the score still tied. I've actually never seen the first 39 minutes of regulation of this game. And this clip, which I've watched maybe a million times, like Brian said, it, it's the last 45 seconds. Specifically, it's the last 45.6 seconds of regulation. That's when it starts. 45.6 seconds left in regulation. So the score at the start of the game is with Winona State. So they're the Goliath. They're up by six points. So the score is 73 to 67. And this clip starts with the player is Zach Malvik, so he's one of the, the two top five players in the country. He's at the foul line to shoot one foul shot. So before we talk about what happens, just a couple of impressions about some things we learned from the first few seconds of this clip. First of all, Winona State, they're the team with the 57-game win streak that cruised on in. They're basically all white athletes. They're wearing white jerseys, and I think it's important. They all look calm, cool, and collected. They know what it is to win. They've been doing it over and over again. 57 straight games. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a team from Minnesota. Or did you say Wisconsin? Minnesota, right? I th that one's Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, it looked like a team from Minnesota versus a team from North Carolina, which is to say one team that 
had a sizable number of white people on it, which is not always a given in basketball against a team that was basically all black. Right. So Barton, they're wearing purple jerseys here and they're almost all black and they look a little more fired up in general, which is not a positive in basketball. Being calm, being relaxed and having control of the game is usually a good thing. Like There's some anxiety to Barton and their energy, but yeah, they're all black just about and they're wearing purple. I like purple as a color. So this clip starts with John Malvik, one of the, the, again, one of the stars on Winona State. He's shooting a free throw. And it's important to understand this, this opening free throw because, as I said, it's a six-point game when we kind of hop in here. So this free throw, if he makes it, makes it a seven-point game. Now, in basketball, you can get up to three points per possession. So what this means is that if this free throw is made, then we need three possessions for Barton to catch up with Winona State. And that's even assuming that Winona State doesn't score enough to make it even another possession on top of that. So it could be even more than that. Basically, if they make this shot, it's extremely safe padding for 45 seconds. An NCAA basketball court is 94 feet long. So think about which is what you have to do. Three times you need to cover 94 feet Three times you need to score and make sure the other team doesn't score. And on top of that, the shot clock is 24 seconds. What that means is the maximum time that a team can hold the ball is 24 seconds. So just there, Winona State can essentially run out the clock. They don't even need to do anything. They just need to keep the ball in their hands to make sure that Barton doesn't score and have a shot at coming back. Basically, the only way that this could even be considered a remotely competitive game is if Barton has some sort of serious, significant shenanigans. But what do you know? Malvik sinks that free throw. Alas for Barton. We got a seven-point ball game. The score now is 74 to 67, with Winona State up by seven points. All right, so now here I'm gonna start describing the action in the frame here. So the ball gets passed into Anthony Atkinson. That's that's the player I described on Barton. Purple jerseys, underdogs. He comes up court. He does a little bit of a spin move. He blows past the defenders. He gets a, a layup. Now the score is a five-point game, 74 to 69, 38.2 seconds left. He made it look painless. The five-foot-nine point guard here. So Winona State inbounds the ball to Malvik again, and here's what, what Atkinson does, and this is what any player would do. They do an intentional foul on Malvik. So basically the idea here is Rather than letting them burn out that 24 seconds, let them shoot foul shots instead. So now their their possession basically takes no time. And so this just gives you just a little bit more time to squeak out a, a comeback here. So another thing here that I want to point out, uh, there's two commentators on the game, as there are for most nationally televised basketball games. Um, the two commentators are Dan Bonner, who is in the role of color commentary basically like giving his opinions as things go. And Ian Eagle is the play-by-play, which is basically describing what happens. They have pretty similar voices, so I think I don't even know who says some of the things as we go along, but these are our our two commentators, Bonner and Eagle, which I think are pretty good names in general. Mm -hmm. I didn't register, actually, that it was different people. I thought it was just one guy talking. Because they sound pretty similar. 
But right here is where Bonner and Eagle, they note that Winona State is a really good free throw shooting school. So all the players, they shoot good free throws. And Malvik in particular is very excellent at shooting free throws. And to me, this is not a surprising stat because uh, free throws are like an example of regimented discipline. And if you're going to have like huge win streaks, you need basically like militaristic devotion to getting these types of edges. That's how you get those 57 game win streaks in the very rare occasions that you do. So the type of free throw that Malvik is shooting here is called a one in one, which basically means that he gets one shot and if he makes it, he gets a second shot. But if he misses it, now either team can take the rebound and play just continues. So Malvik's like, he's automatic. He, he makes the free throws. 35.5 seconds left in the game right here. He misses it. You don't miss your free throws, Brian. Rule number one. That's how you win championships. You make your free throws. Barton grabs the rebound, tosses it back to Anthony Atkinson. It's got to be in his hands, the hero. So we got five points as a deficit, 35 seconds to go. That's better than a seven-point deficit at 45 seconds, but that's still an implausible gap at this point. Atkinson, he just comes flying up the court. He's got some razzle-dazzle kind of ball handling. He does a pull-up jumper around the foul line, and he makes it again. That's not an easy shot to make. But he makes it, and so the gap is now down to three points. A three-point lead for Winona State with 25.9 seconds to go at this point. Brian, this is the point where things get special. There's a tingly static electricity to this footage when I watch it. It's in YouTube's grainy 360p. But even as I watch it today, I've seen it a million times. My stomach clenches up a little bit. It's a close game. It's competitive. It's the championship. Perhaps something magical could be brewing here. Who knows? We'll see. That's where I'm at right now in the clip. Right. This is when it really gets good. Uh, This is when I was captivated. Indeed, right away, something crazy happens. So Winona State is inbounding the ball. So in basketball, the inbound pass after the other team makes a basket is like the safest, most routine part of a basketball game. It's like pulling out of a parking lot spot, you know? It's like, it's just auto. You don't even think about it. You just do it. So a player on the Winona State side named Quincy Henderson, he tosses the inbound pass, but he's he's being too lazy about it. It's He's not thinking that this is the championship. He's just being automatic, going through the motions. And Barton, a, a, a player named Errol Frail, he nabs the ball out of the hands of the player it was passed to, who was named Giante Flowers on Winona State. And Frail immediately passes it back to who else but Anthony Atkinson, who was right in the right spot at the right time. He gra- grabs the pass, hanging out near the lane. He goes up for a shot. And at this point, there's like two or three players just like essentially shoving him downwards just blocking his shot, making sure he doesn't make this one shot. It's like magic. He gets the ball up out of those hands, and it goes in, and Winona State gets called for the foul on this, which is really crucial because it was a two-point shot, 
There was a three-point deficit. He made it. Now it's a one-point game. What the hell? 22 seconds left. It's a 74-73 game now. And Atkinson gets to shoot his one shot, his and one, to tie the game. This is his destiny, Brian. This is Anthony Atkinson's destiny. The man who had made three game winners already this tournament. He had sunk three just the clutchest shots you could ever hope to clutch. He had brought a seven-point deficit down to one point single-handedly with his shots. How proper that he would be the man to tie the game with this foul shot. I'm watching this. My heart is pumping. I know your heart is pumping too, Brian. Right. This this is, I you know, I said 45 seconds. I guess all of that transpired in the 45 seconds. This is when I was paying attention because he is there's a, a point apart and he's going for this free throw. And so, yeah, he's just got to sink the basket. He's obviously their best guy. And if he does this, it's all tied up. Yeah. And he and he's there. He's reliable. He's 82 percent. He's and he's clutch, too. He does better when it's on the line. So there he goes. You know, he's going to do it, Brian. What does he do? He misses the shot. It hits the rim and bounces off, and it makes this sound. It's like boing, and I thought the video was over. I thought that was the end. I thought the point of it was just that his his big moment is botched, and it just the career shatters. The commentator Bonner, what he said here, here's how he put it, and I like this. He said, Anthony Atkinson. They would not be here without his play throughout this tournament. But a free throw with a chance to tie the championship game, and he comes up short. The hero has fallen, Brian. Winona State, they grab the rebound after this missed shot. 19.4 seconds left. Winona State comes in, they make the foul. Giante Flowers is the player. You might recall him. He was the one who kind of lost the steal earlier. So he, he goes to the line. Misses his first shot. You can't miss these shots, Brian. You got to make the free throws if you're going to win championships. Now the camera cuts to Winona State players on their bench. Remember I said earlier they were kind of feeling calm, cool, and collected? They were they were in the place. It was, it was going to be relaxed and easy win for them. They're looking shaken now. This is the moment that I was thinking like, hmm, we'll see what happens here. That doesn't look like the way a winning team would look like right now. But anyways, Flowers, he makes his second shot. So he missed the first one. He makes the second one. That makes it a two-point game at that point. So it had been 74-73, now 75-73. Atkinson gets the, the inbound pass, and he, he brings the ball up. He brings it to the top of the key. So that's uh, like around the, three, the top of the three-point line. You can just see it in his eyes right now. He's thinking about this shot at redemption. He missed that free throw. Right now, if he makes a shot, this game goes into overtime. He's ready for it. He cuts left. He dribbles around one of the men, and he goes to the basket, and he does this maneuver. It's very Michael Jordan-esque. We talked about Michael Jordan a minute ago. He goes up for the shot, but then he kind of comes down and under. It's like a reverse. He's going up. He reverses it underneath, goes to the other side of the rim, and he lays the ball in. This is four shots in a row excusing that that one missed free throw four shots in a row that he's made a clutch shot it goes in 7.2 seconds to go and he, the the commentators bonner and eagle they're just losing it at this point bonner says 
Oh, what a play. They had been down seven with 45 seconds to go. The Mad Lads did it, Brian. They came back. Now all they needed to do, so there's there's 7.6 seconds left. They tied the game. It couldn't be done. They did it. All they have to do is make sure that Winona State does not score in that last 7.6 seconds. If they don't score, the game goes into overtime. That's their shot. That's Barton's shot. They're going to win this game in overtime. So Zach Malvik, who you might recall as he's again, he's one of the stars. He's one of the faces of the Winona State Empire, as you will. He grabs the inbound pass and he starts bringing the ball up the court. Seven seconds left. Not much time to do much. He but he he wants to win it now. You know, he knows if he makes this shot before time expires, he just takes it now. Forget overtime. And remember, all this is happening when the clock is not really stopping. So like going from 15 seconds to seven seconds is like just happening in the blink of an eye. It's like a breathless wink of a moment. Malvik has the look. He's got the fire. He wants to keep Winona State alive and he's ready to go. He, he wants to go take this thing right now. He's looking ahead. He's looking at the trophy in front of him. He's looking at the basket in front of him. He's going to look ahead and make this shot. But Brian, he forgot one thing. He forgot to look behind him because Bobby Buffalo, he's a player on Barton. He's been shadowing behind Malvik during these first few seconds of the ball being inbounded. Just a couple steps behind him. And there's this moment where Malvik slows for just a second. He's kind of scouting the court ahead of him. He pauses. He pulls back. It's a flicker of a pause. Barely a hesitation. But that's all it took. Buffalo lunges forward. He grabs the ball from Malvik with four seconds left in the game. Four seconds is not a lot of time, Brian. There's not too many things you could do in four seconds. I don't know what those things are. Putting myself in the place of this team in this instant, you're Barton. What you should do is you call a timeout right now. That's the smart thing. That's the game-winning strategy. You got enough time. Four seconds is just enough time to stop what you're doing, think about your options, drop a play, and try to get the ball in the right player's hands, maybe get a good off, good shot, win the game. Worst case, you're just going to overtime. So why not pause and, and try to do something? So the coach of Barton at this point is a gentleman named Ron Levens, L-I-E-V-E-N-S-E. So what he said in post-game interviews, I always like this, he said that his brain told him to call timeout, but there was some sort of divine energy that came through him, and he didn't call timeout. He just let it all happen. He said, this is verbatim, I can't tell you, but peace just flooded me. I knew that something was going to happen, that Anthony was going to make the right decision. I don't know what it was, but a peace came over me. Brian, I'm not sure whether or not I believe in God, but if I did, I would say that God was speaking to leave ends in that moment right there. So remember, Bobby Buffalo had just gotten the steal and four seconds left. He spots Anthony Atkinson, the man who had fallen, the man who had missed the shot and yet had still come through to, to tie the game. He's at half court. Buffalo passes him the ball. And now Anthony Atkinson has the ball in his hands. There's nobody between him and the basket. It's just 50 feet of pure potential energy. 
50 feet of manifest destiny, 50 feet to become more than a hero. And if you're listening to the play-by-play caller, Ian Eagle right now, he says, he's got time. So Atkinson runs up the court. He goes in for the layup. The ball rolls off his fingers with 0.1 seconds left in the game. It slides through the net. 77-75. Winona State has fallen. Their 57 win streak game is over. Barton wins the basketball game and wins the championship. The crowd loses its mind. The announcers are like even as hyped as people in the stands, maybe even more so. Bonner goes, it's good. It's good. He just can't hold in his emotion. It's an emotional moment, isn't it, Brian? Yeah. And it did a replay because, I mean, when it happened, it it's so fast and there was so little time on the clock. It's like, did that even count? And this big, like 10 sec, well, not even 10 second, five second clock comes up and goes along with the replay. And yeah, he, you know, he jumps up in like the last half second, extends his arm and the ball rolls off the fingers right at 0.1 seconds. The last moment you could let it go and still have it count. And then it goes into the basket as the buzzer sounds. It's unreal. And I also really like what happens right after that basket goes in. It's like that these, we get a few shots here that to me are just impressionistic poetry. Uh, Like, I I don't know where anyone is at any one point as they're like hopping from person to person. So Zach Malvik is crying. Of course he blew it. He's, he's slumped over devastated. The death star exploded. The empire fell the 57 game streak over. We see some Barton player. I don't even know who this is. He's just torn off his shirt. He's running around. He's got this gleam in his eye. Just the pure intensity and and thrill of winning a wild game like this. And then, of course, you got a dozen people just mobbing Anthony Atkinson. He scored 10 straight points in 37 seconds. The only interruption to those 10 straight points was one free throw on Winona State. The Winona State players, on the other hand, they're like sitting on their bench. They're they're bummed. They they just they lost. They had it in their their hands. And so we get like 30 to 45 seconds of all of this. And then Bonner, he's he's the color commentator. He makes one of my favorite calls in sports history that I've ever heard. He says, you could not have written a script that would match the drama here. It's true. To me, that's what sports at their peak are all about. It's it's a bunch of dudes in nylon slinging a leather ball around. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about sports. Maybe sports is a proxy for man's tendency to go to war or or perhaps our lizard brain, to use a phrase you used earlier, to try and gain sexual dominance over other men. I've heard these theories before. Maybe it's just a chance to let the id and ego battle each other and try and find some harmony in like exploiting your purest human strength, but also like cool, logical ability to deconstruct what's happening. I don't know what you want sports to be. I do know that modern sports I've drifted away from quite a bit. It's I, I am I had a like 15 minute lead in to this that I thought about giving as just as a spiel about like my whole history and my relationship with sports. These days, I often see sports as kind of like a borderline racist, exploitative business that trades young men's bodies for the discretional income of like a bunch of rubes around the nation. 
it's just like a big distraction from this world that's kind of crumbling around us. I mean, I like movies too, and they're kind of that too, so I don't know. But for whatever reason, you know, sports has all these flaws if you're going to be like an intense fan. But it is also a stage. The field, the court, it's a stage. There's real organic human drama out there. And in my opinion, the best sports games are better than the best movies or the best books or the best whatever, you know, scripted things you want because you can't script a sports game. As Bonner said, even if you tried to script something like this, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't be plausible. It wouldn't have the same element of humanity to it. And and that's why I love this. That's why I love sports. Anthony Atkinson. Remember, he's 5'9". He's not going to the NBA. He's not going to be a pro. You know, it was most likely going in that he would just be another guy who was a hometown hero who happened to lose to the number one team in the country. And 45 seconds ago, it certainly seemed like that was what was going to happen. But you know what happened to him, Brian? He became a Harlem Globetrotter. He got a call from the Globetrotters. They saw the game. They wanted him to be their first pick in their first ever quote-unquote draft. This guy was going to be their star. And to me, that's even more poetic than him getting an unlikely NBA call because the Globetrotters, they're undefeated. They're undefeatable. They're a taste of the spectacular when the ordinary just won't do in basketball. And that's what Anthony Atkinson is to me after this game. He he was a Globetrotter for many years. He became their captain and since then, he also became a motivational speaker. And I think he's currently a high school coach. Just last spring, he led a school called Wilson Prep to a come-from-behind high school state title as a coach. So it's living on. Because remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And to me, Anthony Atkinson and this game, it's it's a legend to me, Brian. So... Thank you for for going through it with me. Oh, yeah. Well, as I said, I I don't watch a lot of sports, but something Dan has shared with me in the past that really gave me pause, and maybe we'll we'll have to dig it up, if only for our own appreciation, but it was an article that he linked to where the writer explained the value and the appeal of watching sports. And the gist of what he wrote was that sports is the only true reality TV and like transcends the trashiness that that label sometimes connotes because it's real people really competing really at the top of their game. So to speak, they're in their element. They're doing what they've trained to do and they've come here to display their skills and you don't know how it's going to go. It's a, it's a battle that's really unfolding, and you're here to witness it. I can't really say that I've watched much more sports after I've read that article, but I've thought about it a lot more, and I've appreciated it more. These are breathtaking minutes here in this clip. You didn't have to spend a whole afternoon watching this. It's, you get it in 45 seconds. Four minute, 26 second clip. 45.6 seconds of a basketball game. It's all there, you know. It's like a, a crucible to understanding the peak of human potential for me. And just such good story. 
you you really couldn't have like set up every single element of it to be more perfect. I've watched this clip a hundred times. I I'm gonna keep watching it. It's one of my two favorite endings to any sports game that I've ever encountered. The other one being the 2005 Fiesta Bowl, which I could talk about at, at another time. It's another great one. But yeah, that's the 2007 Division II National Championship game, uh, the, the end of it there. So any other thoughts you wanted to throw on there, Brian, or, or is this something that we feel we can rate? I'm ready to rate. Okay, so Brian, is Barton versus Winona State good? I'm going to give this an 8 because I don't see how it could have unfolded better. He couldn't have let the ball go any later, for sure. It's just like the perfect moment. I, I don't even understand how the guy got the ball in the last like four and a half seconds. Like he just suddenly had it and spun on his heel and then Atkinson's got the ball again. And you, you've mentioned Goliath a few times, like in reference to the other team, the Minnesota team. But like Atkinson to me is this team's Goliath. I mean, in the in the biblical story, it's like the, the Philistines have their one guy who's doing everything. And and the, the battle is who will come out and face me? And it's like, no, nobody will, because he's so imposing. Um, and, and here, I mean, yes, Buffalo is the one who gets the ball and gets it to Atkinson in time. But, like, Atkinson is just a, a larger-than-life figure here. He's the champion of his army. He's David and Goliath, yeah. Right. And, and I mean, in, in the Bible story, it's like once Goliath is down, the, the army crumbles, melts away. He's their guy. He's their hero of legend, and this is his time. But uh, what about for you, Dan? So I read this this writer on pop culture. I've mentioned him on the pod for, before, for sure. His name is Tom Brehan. He's written a bunch of different series. Uh, the one that I keep up with the most is The Number Ones, where he is chronologically reviewing every song that hit number one on the billboard charts and he gives songs ratings out of 10 and there have been 50 songs or so that he's given a 10 to and he doesn't just rate the songs that hit number one he rates songs that are referenced throughout the article so maybe like hey they released this signal and it got to number seven and i would give that an eight out of ten so basically he, he's giving ratings to a whole lot of different things Every now and then he will give a rating to a song where it's a 10, but you can tell he's just bowled over by it. And he says, that is a hell of a 10. So I think about that a lot. I think hell of a 10 is like your top phrase. For me, this ending is a hell of an eight. It's a hell of a tour to good. It's everything I want out of any story, any drama, any YouTube clip. One of my favorites in the world. It's an eight out of eight for me, for sure. So I'm glad that that it uh, it moved you as well, Brian. Yeah. To me, what gets the eight is it just couldn't be better. It's like you couldn't finish this game better. You couldn't. And and so even not reading into all the drama, even not knowing the stories of the teams and their records and like memorizing scores, it, it just like empirically, objectively, 
they couldn't have ended it better. It's it's perfection. Agreed. So that's my my contribution to the episode. That's my eight out of eight. And I think that brings us to a wrap here. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, I like this tradition. I hope you like it too, of just pulling in things that are a little outside the box. I might run out of things that I really love enough or have some opinion of to bring in, but let's keep it going. And I feel like I can I keep trying to come up with something. So this has been fun. Yeah, I, I'm not going to run out. We're, we've got to like play a VHS board game at some point or, or something. Honorary Super Pooper Award. Yeah. So tell us what you think too, listeners. And so, Dan, I kind of scooped this episode out from under you. I grabbed it out of your hands and, <laughs> and made a dash for the basket and, and just kind of put my own stamp on it. Again, a second episode in a row where I headlined, at least at the start. But uh, you did get to talk about your, your basketball game wrap-up. So the next one is a Dan episode. Dan proper, Dan gets to pick the movie and, and be the the main host, the sole host, and, and I'll be the color commentator, as it were. But what is that selection going to be, Dan? All right, Brian. So listeners, at this point, you have heard us do our spectacular. And one thing that Brian said that he wanted to do is something different. Let's do something different, Brian. Here's what I'm going to have us do. We are going to watch the movie Luca from 2021. It's a Pixar movie. And we are going to select our top five Pixar movies. We're going to do a top five list. And we will discuss our top five Pixar movies. And then we will also discuss the movie Luca 2021. And that's going to be our next episode. All right. Have you seen every Pixar film? No, I am short on three and those are Cars 2, Cars 3, and Luca. I've seen the other ones, though. Okay. Uh, all of them. It's like up to 20... I don't know. It's in the high 20s now. But what about you, Brian? Cars 3 I've not seen. And was Turning Red Pixar? Yes. Haven't seen that one yet. I think that's, think that's it. Have you seen Luca? I have seen Luca. I've seen Cars 2. So I, I expect I will fill in those gaps before we next meet. And so uh, not only will it be our top five, but it will be our top five of all of the, the pool. Yeah, and I'm hoping to see my gaps as well. So we could we could have a, uh, a complete set. I think these top fives are going to be fun. I think we should we should try a couple of them. And I'm looking forward to it. All right. It's a good idea. I, of course it's a good idea. <laughs> um, but uh, it'll be exciting. So... Looking forward to it. I hope you are too, listeners. Join us again on The Goods. See you, listeners.